la nuit de dimanche à lundi, tout cela est arrivé avec une véritable sidération puisque pour la, des millions de birmans, on a vraiment l'impression qu'on a fait un saut dans le passé de 10 ans en arrière. d'un pauvre walkie-talkie en vertu d'une vieille loi très orwellienne sur les télécommunications, le président qui est incarcéré pour une fraude électorale. Donc tout cela, c'est vraiment très familier pour le peuple birman, cette propagande d'État militaire où on ne recule devant rien. d'années, ce, ce qu'on a appelé un peu trop précocement le, le printemps birman, cette période de transition démocratique. Ils se mettent un peu en retrait en mettant en avant un gouvernement euh, civil, mais ils ont renforcé euh, leur pouvoir, euh, leurs euh, prérogatives, leurs revenus aussi. Le, le vrai problème, c'est le camouflet électoral de novembre dernier, quand l'ancienne la, la, milice de, de, de l'armée, la USDP, a été euh, complètement rejetée dans les urnes avec seulement 33 voix. Et il est possible que le général Minangleng, qui est quand même l'homme le plus puissant, quoi qu'on en dise, de la Birmanie, même avant ce coup d'État, l'ait tout simplement très très mal pris et ait décidé de resserrer un peu les rangs. notamment sur Facebook, sur Internet, sur les réseaux sociaux. la nouvelle administration américaine qui a tapé du poisson à la table, l'Union Européenne à l'instant, les pays voisins, mais euh, les, les militaires birmans savent qu'en cette période de pandémie, de toute façon les frontières sont fermées. Qu'est-ce que va faire l'administration américaine, notamment au Conseil de sécurité, pour voter des sanctions quand euh, l'allié chinois très puissant va de toute façon leur mettre un, un veto Donc les militaires birmans ont fait un coup parfait. Il va être très difficile de faire pression euh, sur, euh, sur eux. Donc euh, on est vraiment dans le retour d'une re remise en main très 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 forte hein, des militaires birmans. We're doing the, a campaign by hitting uh, pots and pans, and we have uh, our song and then song. And I think we we have planned to do it every night until we get we gain back the power back to the people. You're listening to a special version of the Inside Myanmar podcast, covering the military coup and the ensuing protest movement that has developed. During this crisis, we're ramping up the production of not only podcast episodes, but also our blog and other social media platforms. So we invite you to check these out as well. All the other projects that had been in progress prior to February have since been paused indefinitely to focus entirely on this emergency. But for now, let's get into our show.
ကိုကိုတစ်စမရှိတောက်စားကြီးဒီနေ့ပါချက်မလဲတော်လန်ရေးနံနံပင်အုတ်ဟင်တခွာလူတို့အုံကြွမှုကိုညူအောင်ပြ
Okay, uh, so my name is Thiri Nanda, and I'm 32 years old, Tamil Burmese woman who was born and grew up in Myanmar, and I'm a Buddhist. And to be emphasized, I'm not like a traditional Buddhist who was born in tra- Buddhist family and have to follow the family religions. I'm more like some somewhat with following the teaching of Buddha and with really believing in Buddha teaching. And for my work background, I work in many fields like a teaching profession, tourism, a translator. I work in, in many NGOs for the development fee and research and urban development projects. And I grew up in a very traditional family in Myanmar, and it's always a bit challenging. But I ended up uh, married with a Frenchman, and I moved to France here in, here in France in 2019. Now it's been nearly um, over two years I'm in France. And until now, I'm in France. Yes, I'm. That's all. This is my book. Me, yeah. Yeah, great, great. Thanks, thanks for sharing that. So you've been in France for a couple of years. How has that adjustment been in terms of uh, culture and society? It's a very different kind of place than Myanmar. Mm, uh, for me, it's not too much different because uh, before I came here, I worked with a uh, French company for like nearly four years. So I'm a bit of a uh, familiar with the. Uh, you can say French culture, but there uh, still there's uh, some shocking culture when I arrive here. Like, uh, uh, for example, when you uh, there's a lot of uh, procedure in France uh, to get one paper to apply in some things, official documents. Uh, yeah, it gave me a lot of headache, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm still surviving here. Right, right. What's the thing you miss most from Myanmar? Oh, the food, a lot. <laughs> so you're not a big fan of French food. No, I, I really fall in love with the uh, French food also, but uh, you know, uh, just uh, what is missing is the spice. Because uh, in French, uh, they say, oh, it's too spicy, oh. but for me, it's not spicy at all. <laughs> right. What's the food you miss most from home? Yeah, I miss the spice. Uh, mohinga. <laughs> it's a kind of noodle soup. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned a bit in your introduction just about your Buddhist background, You and you made a differentiation between the traditional way that you're you're raised and your parents followed and that that's not necessarily the way that describes your buddhist practice but that the buddhist teachings are very important to you and the buddha as a spiritual teacher is still very important so what shape were you raised in following the buddhist teachings and how has that changed as you've grown older and your relationship to the teachings has perhaps also changed as, as you've matured uh, like I mentioned, because in Myanmar, most of the people and they are traditional Buddhists, which means like uh, they are born in the Buddhist family and they say, okay, my father and my grandmother are Buddhist, so I will be Buddhist. And after they follow all the traditional things and they are not. But for me, I'm more like uh, I grew up in a family and I, I have, uh, we have a one monk. We can say like a family doctor, we can say family monk. And he was teaching me rather than like, uh, you have to follow and you you have to follow that. It, rather than that, he teaching why you have to follow, why Buddha say that and what is the good way. And he say, yeah, you don't, you don't, in Bud- Buddhism, we say don't drink alcohol. And he didn't say you, you, you don't drink alcohol, but he say more like why you shouldn't drink alcohol. And he explained with the reasons. And, uh, and also in, Sometimes in Buddhism, and you can see some are uh, connected with the tradition. 
Uh, Buddha doesn't say, don't cut your hair on Wednesday. It's not religion. It's more like tradition. So for me, I, I, I'm not following this kind of uh, traditional things. I'm more following what Buddha is really saying. Yeah. Mm, so it sounds like the family monk that taught you from a young age encouraged more of a critical thought relationship to the teachings rather than just blindly following what was said. And some, some of that is custom, some is tradition, some is from the scriptures, but it's all kind of mixed together. And it sounds like he had more of a critical mindset approach to understanding the value and the purpose for uh, why one was encouraged to do this or not do that. Yeah, it's you can say I have a good teacher, like a teacher monk, and also my father is a good teacher for that. Yes. Mm. And were they teaching you in a particular tradition or a, tra- a particular lineage? Where, what style of methodology or practice were they coming from? Um, mostly, the monk uh, he just uh, said to meditate every day. Uh, he doesn't ask me like uh, you know to say the prayers every three times per day, five times per day, not like a traditional one. He, he teach me how to live in life with, with regulation, with what kind of rules and regulations. And also he teach me how to do meditation. Meditation is more like to control, like to control yourself, not like a, to, to reach some level or something like that. More practical ways. Yeah. Mm, so what style of meditation did he, did he teach you? Uh, just to breathe in, breathe out and more con- concentrating on the breathe. The breathe it can mean yourself and you don't need to don't think about the others and don't think about the other situation right now. Just concentrate on one thing to to make your mind peaceful. This is the basic one he taught he taught me. Yeah. Mm, so it sounds like mostly an anapana practice. Yeah. Yeah. Is right. that right? Yeah, that's great. So then since you've been in France and you're away from your home Burmese Buddhist community. Have you been able to connect with different Buddhist communities there? Do you, have you been able to maintain your, your your Buddhist practice, or how has that been? And trying to bring your your Buddhist teachings into a, a country that's not Buddhist. Uh, in in France, no, I haven't been contact with any organization yet. I mean, it's been two years I'm here in France, but uh, honestly, even I, it's only I know a few Burmese here, and. Uh, and there's one place uh, near my uh, my in-law house. It's uh, but uh, because of COVID, it's closed everything, so I don't have a chance to go to any meditation center yet. They they stop accepting people. Yeah. Mm, right. Right. So you were living in France. You picked quite a time to move there. Soon after coming, you had a global pandemic that hit and had you stuck indoors, I assume. And then just as the pandemic was starting to get better worldwide, we had this terrible February 1st military coup in Myanmar. So what was it like living halfway around the world in Europe as you were following what was happening in your homeland from far away? First, when the when I heard that uh, the coup is happening, uh, I really can't believe, and I was so panicked, and I can't sleep at all, like for one week. Like uh, I can't, I was always with the phone, and I want to know what is happening there. How is my family? How is my relative? What is the situation there? It was so shock. Uh, it's I can't believe that when I heard the news. Yeah. Wait, but for like uh, one week, I can't sleep at all. 
And like after one week, I have a notification from my phone and saying that, uh, yeah, your screen time for last week is nearly 24 hour <laughs> per day. So after I saw that notification, I said, okay, uh, if I go in like this, I will fall down. So they need me. I I want to do something for them. So I reduced my screen time and I, I, I try to be a bit calm down. Yeah. And how, and how did you try to calm down? Uh, at least uh, I try to sleep at night, not to be, uh, and, but normally when I sleep, uh, I, I switch off internet. I, uh, I put a uh, silent mood, but, uh, but now I sleep, but uh, I stay, my internet is on. I put a sound in case there's something happen and my family want to call me. Mm, right. Yeah. It's a different world with a different set of rules that you can't just shut off as, you could be for all of this because at any moment something can be happening from someone that we care about and wanting to get that update from them. So, so with that, I guess, uh, for, for, for you, for me, for many of us outside, we don't really have nights of good sleep anymore because, um, I I don't know about the time zone in France, at least in America, the the late night is right when me and are starting to wake up. So just as my day is finishing, another day is starting and, I, uh, as, as I start to wind down, then all the messages and the phone calls and the news and everything start pouring in. So it's definitely been a lesson for me of how to manage that and how to protect my own mental space and physical health with, um, you know, when, when there's this unpredictability of, of news hitting us at any moment. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, it's a bit hard to, con- to, to balance to your life here and uh, the life there and your mind and your your thinking all your mind all your thinking are there and you have to you have the life here also the family here and then it's a bit hard to manage like you mentioned you you I I start to afraid to wake up uh, with the with some, something some notification from my from my phones yeah it's a bit hard I, I don't know about you, but I've had instances where I've been so deep into some conversation or project or assistance or whatever it is that I suddenly, I, and I might not go outside for you know a day or more on end because I'm just so focused on what that work is. And I walk outside and suddenly I kind of forget which country I'm in because I'm, I'm so focused in this other world. I, I don't know if you've had anything like that. Uh, yes, I feel like and when I go out, especially with my in-laws' family, and they are, sometimes I, I don't know where I am because they are speaking in French. And uh, in, when we are eating the family dinner, I can't follow their conversation at all. And I, I was seeing the, my father's face in my in-law's face, you know, like, uh, well, my father is not here. Uh, who is he? Or is kind of, sometimes my, hus- my husband have to ask me, are you okay? Where are you? Uh, or like, yeah, it's happened to me also. It's a bit hard, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is the role of trauma surfacing, right? Like even though we're outside the physical harm, we're so connected with people that are in danger and we're involved in many ways and different ways constantly of trying to provide that help and learning news that there's this kind of second degree trauma of even though we're, we're not personally at risk, we're so associated with the risks that have happened and that could potentially happen that... In some ways, uh, there, there's some disassociation that takes place of, of kind of losing touch with certain time and space and, and mentally getting so involved in what's actually happening there that the, what's happening in front of us becomes secondary. Uh, the one, one, one like, uh, another feeling for me here is like whenever I do something here in France uh, uh, in my daily life, I feel like so guilty. 
even I was watching, listening one song, I was thinking, oh, shit, I'm listening one song. And my family in Myanmar, they are hearing the bullet sound and, you know, uh, the striking sound. I'm listening a song here, so I, I can't listen to the song anymore. I have to shut down the song. Or oh, it's so much guilty to, uh, to be here and uh, far away from uh, everybody from Myanmar. Yeah. Right, right. And that's something I wanted to talk about because when we were speaking before this interview and we were going back and forth talking about the what topics and perspectives you wanted to discuss uh, on, on the interview, the first thing you talked about was guilt. You said that was the predominant feeling that you wanted to go into and share and just go into the experience of what it has felt like for you being a Burmese who is not in the country right now and as a result of of not being there, the, this this feeling and sensation of guilt that you're living with and grappling with every day. So can you describe a little bit more of what, what that guilt feels like when it comes? Yeah, because I'm uh, first I'm away from my family. And also uh, because I'm, as I mentioned before, I'm a, a tradition, I grew up in traditional family. So we have a very close relationship, even between my cousin. We, we are living in one big house with everybody, like 20 people. So I was away from all 20 people and my cousin are in the street striking and we don't know they will come back safely or, you know, uh, they will come back uh, with the body or we can't know. So it's uh, I, I can't do anything here. And the only thing I can do is to check in the message uh, from Facebook. And I will say, okay, today, when they come back home, uh, my, my aunties inform me, okay, your cousin arrived at home. And after I say, okay, one day is finished. All come back with a uh, with normal stage, you know. And at the time, I feel like, it's so much guilty. I don't know how to express in the world or uh, in what. It's it's really like uh, something is grabbing my neck, and you know, I sometimes I forget to breathe. Like kind of minutes, it's like uh, uh, they are doing that. I can't do here, and oof, it's a lot of things coming inside of my. And sometimes I was crying like this without realizing I'm crying for hours. Especially uh, when my husband is not at home when he go to work the whole day and. Yeah, it's a, it's, I never feel like this in my, in my life. Why is a lot. Hmm, I'm sorry. And has that gotten any better with time? Have you developed any strategies or, or ways of working with it? Or how, how is that? Because we're now entering the fifth month of this, and that's quite a big emotional burden to carry you that's uh, really taking over you on a, on a consistent basis. So uh, as this has gone on, have you developed any kind of strategies to, to work with that? Uh, actually, I should meditate, but I can't con- concentrate more than two seconds. But it's not working. And second, second uh, things I try is my, my in-laws say, okay, uh, sometimes you should forget things and you should think of yourself also because you have life ahead in your own and that. So you should forget. And I try one day, I try to switch off all their connection or their Facebook and uh, internet. And I say, okay, I will try to relax. But, you know, the next day when I open, I had one new and, and I was so frustrating to hear. I know, so sad because I I missed that. I can't, go, I don't know. So it's, and then now what I, I'm, I'm involving in many projects 
to help Myanmar people. And instead of shutdown, I already find the shutdown way is not working because after you 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 check again the news, it's all come back to you worse than normal uh, normally. So now I try to to work as much as possible I can for the for Myanmar people, what I for the community. So I'm involving in many projects. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the first one is the. Uh, The name is La Communauté Piedmont de France, uh, CBF. Uh, in, in, in English, it's Burmese Community in France. This is an association uh, with the Burmese people. It was uh, created in 2004 uh, with a few Burmese people. Since then, they are doing the, the, the human rights and like cultural events. But the, after the military group uh, coup on 1st February, we tried to regroup again with the to to against the mil, uh, the Myanmar illegal military government and we have many we organize many activities here like for example we organize this striking um, striking event and also we try to send letters to the French government to ask for the help and to ask for the organization uh, to 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 ask for the recognition of the NUG government. And also we we try to do, collect money and after we try to donate the communities in Myanmar. Yeah, we try everything we can to raise awareness what is happening, actually happening in Myanmar and what kind of help the Myanmar people re- need right now. Yeah, this is one, one big project I'm involving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, and how has that been going? Uh, yeah, it's going well, uh, but uh, we have a, like a small working group uh, to organize all the things and like that. And and I have some experience, like some people are afraid to come to the striking event or to involve and to show their face, especially they are worried for what if, if they don't get visa anymore, what if they don't go back to Myanmar, Or what if the the military government uh, try uh, do something to their family? So there's some people stay afraid of that and not involving in many activities here. Uh, and also I'm handling the communication for the CBS. So I face some uh, some back reaction from uh, the French people here also. What comments are those? It's like you know, like if we post something, oh yeah. Uh, we are striking for that, 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 and they are saying, oh yeah, we have our own problem. Uh, why you are saying about your problem here in France? Um, there's a lot of people supporting, a lot of French people supporting, but there is still, there are still bad comments also. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what have you generally found to be French sentiment and I guess French sentiment among the people that you're in touch with on social media and then from like news organizations and covering this? How are you finding the response there in France? Normally it's a, uh, it's a good people. Uh, people have a good reaction. They are supporting mentally a lot. And some people, they are support a lot and uh, they suggesting you should do that. You, this is the government procedure. They, they give us a lot of advice also. And some people uh, that we, we have in our group, some volunteer French people who is helping for communication strategy or, or there's a lot of volunteer also. But yes, but the problem is that except very, 
there's a small group of French people who is uh, who have a bit of communication with Burmese community. They know what is ha- really happening in Myanmar, so they they show a lot of support. But normally, when you say all the French people, some they don't know where is Myanmar at all. Even they they have no idea what is Myanmar. And yeah, second, it's a uh, they know Myanmar and they know what is happening in Cook, but that because of the in French the media coverage is not that much about Myanmar, so they say, "Well, wait, uh, it's, it's been six months, so maybe it's already finished." Or well, they don't know it's still happening, it's still suffering there. Or yeah, so yeah, it's this kind of reaction from French people. Yeah. Mm. And also before the interview, another thing you had mentioned to me was that you were quite concerned with what you were seeing as fake news. So can you share a little more of what the nature of this fake news you're seeing is, what platforms you're seeing it on, and what has you so concerned about it? Uh, the fake news the problem in Myanmar is not very new because uh, we opened up the internet suddenly in 2000, I think, 15. Everybody have uh, started to have a phone. and But especially in this, during the coup period, it's a really, uh, if I give one example, for example, somebody, some people, were saying, there's a one post about the fa- on Facebook and saying, oh yeah, you want will come in, in two weeks and they will help us in Myanmar to fight for the, the military government. You are made, UN will come in two weeks, UN will come in two weeks, and it's give really a lot of hope, uh, face hope to the people, especially uh, when you think about my mom and my grandmother or my grandfather, they are like not young generation anymore. They they trust this kind of fake fake hopes. And as and in Myanmar also, uh, Facebook is the main platform for everything. If you, uh, for teaching, for communication, for the news, it's the Facebook is the the main it, even when you do business, so every time is uh, if I say another is number just today recently today this morning one singer passed away, and uh, there's a lot of fake news about that. Some some people some people say oh no he passed away with malaria and some people say he passed away with the uh, but because he using the drug, or some people say no he is killed by the military off oh, and. Is really worrying, especially from I'm outside of Myanmar. So I, when I opened my Facebook, I saw three or four news, and I don't know which one I can trust at all. It's a, it's really hard to do the fact check also. Yeah, this is really tough because, of course, the military has basically made every reporting institution in Myanmar except their state media company is illegal overnight and so there's uh, reporters are at uh, as much risk as anyone else there and so that leaves the internet and facebook for people to start sharing and back way back decades ago before the internet was in myanmar of course one of the ways that people learn news was through tea shops by going to tea shops and hearing rumors and talking about things and trying to in- interpret different different things now that the, the virtual tea shop is facebook and so i'm wondering in the fake news that you see what do you think is behind it do you think it's people genuinely trying to figure out what's going on and just being confused and just having the uh, kind of whispers in the wind start to take things in a different direction or or do you think there's something more malicious and intentional behind it uh there's some kind of news that really like they they are spreading fake news for with intentions 
like for example, like they want to trust that uh, the singer is passed away because of their drug. It uh, if you see this kind of new, uh, if you see the sources, surely it's a side of military, uh, military side of the people who are supporting military, who is sharing that, who is spreading that, and uh, but sometimes uh, there's uh, it's not intention, but uh, it's concerned with. The you know the logic thinking and the education of Myanmar people also, like for example, uh, one people share the one picture of the People Defense Force uh, PDF, uh, and after the military knew knew that where the PDF member are and yesterday was a sad event in Manila is happened because of that photo, so it, that people have no intention to 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 harm pdf but just uh, she just want to show that she know there's uh, some people and because of that uh, it's sad thing happened so it was because of someone sharing sensitive information without a malicious malicious intention but just kind of wanting to be ahead of the news or get a scoop or show some kind of um maybe get some some credit that it was this selfish desire which led to the deaths in mandalay is that what you're saying yeah, exactly that. Yes. And then since this event in Mandalay, and of course this, as we're talking, this happened just, just yesterday or the day before, but this podcast will be released in a week or so. So it'll, some time will pass before people hear this conversation. But in the release of the news of, of this terrible shooting um, that happened in Mandalay, uh, what have you seen from the online response and the online reaction to it? It's uh, it's it's a lot because people. Okay, one one thing is that they are blaming each other because, like they say, okay, because of that, uh, the person who both and blaming each other, you shouldn't do that, you should do that. This is the first reaction, and second reaction, most people they they are really affected by that news, and uh, for for some other in our group uh, here in, in Myanmar people, and we start to think, okay, we should uh, we should do something. We should do long term plan. Not to, uh, we should do something for that because of uh, what we are thinking. What should we do? What kind of plan will help to the, the the people? So this is the second reaction to think about the plan. And the third reaction is like uh, some people start to be afraid and uh, hopeless. For example, like uh, my family and my auntie start to say to my cousin, "Yeah, you shouldn't go out." And uh, yeah, it's, people have to feel more more and more afraid things and you know frightenness is really killing them yeah it's a lot of uh, reactions Mm. right and uh, with that third reaction of starting to be afraid you know of course that is what the tamada is wanting the people to be they are wanting people to to be afraid and to start to realize that however bad their rule is going to be it's going to be better than this current period now and that's certainly what they're aiming for. And so from what you hear and what you're talking to within the online community there back in Myanmar, what are you feeling about their morale? Is there, is, is now that we're five months into this, is there a sense that some sectors of society just kind of want to go back to whatever stability can be there, whoever it is that's leading? Or do you feel there's still a kind of never return to the end attitude that is still continuing even as times are getting harder okay even in my in my facebook list i can see like three people like three group of people one group 
they don't care at all. It's they have money and they are going club. They are posting the beauty photo on the Facebook and they don't care at all. That is one group. Uh, second group, it's uh, more like my mom or like a bit, a bit older generation. They say, okay, I we don't we don't want to let people die like this anymore. So whatever who is ruling is military or whatever we are, because they they grew up in the military regime like uh, last years. So they say, okay, let's go. Even they are doing stupid things. Let's accept that and let's carry on because they are afraid to lose people more and more. And the third group is more like young people. No, we will fight until the end because we don't want our generation to suffer like this anymore. And other militaries, we, we, our country is already destroyed like last 60 years, 100 years. We just start to develop and now it's go back to that region. So we will fight until the end. So I, I see, if you see roughly, I can see three groups like this, the people. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think I'm most interested in this dichotomy between the second and third group, because the first group is probably pretty small to people with money who can just sit this out and it doesn't affect them so much. But the second and third group, the, the group that wants to just go back to some form of stability and the group that wants to continue until the end and never accept this, to me, that is really the core question of how the movement is going to develop. Because, of course, the Tamadav wants to splinter that. They want to find some way to drive a wedge and to break that solidarity so that there's a, a growing cry for people that just want to settle with the more activists that want to keep the fight going. So is that a concern you have? Do you feel that we, as this stretches on, that there could be some kind of wedge or division driven between those that want to keep on no matter what and those that have kind of had enough and just want to settle into whoever's going to be the leader? Uh, I don't think so because ASAP, like you mentioned, the first group which doesn't care at all. The the second and the third group are, I mean, if there's, for example, if something happened like yesterday, mentally events and today about the singer and things like that, even the second group that they say, okay, let's stay under military because I, I want to give up uh, this striking. But after this kind of news come up, they 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 get the I don't I don't want to say it's kind of motivation, but it's, they get bad spirit, you know. Okay, we will fight. We will we will fight back. Yeah, it's depend. It's a bit hard to say, but the second and third group are nearly the same. You can say, yeah, right. Right. One is a little more active and one is a little more passive, but their their views of the situation are, are pretty in line. And that's interesting that when the military does an egregious action that, that is killing people and, and something really violent, that is not having the effect of scaring the people in the second group into wanting to just accept it and move on. It's actually motivating them to be angrier and move closer to the third group, whereas in past struggles, those... Uh, that kind of violence was usually more effective in wanting to keep people at home and have people afraid and, and willing to just accept a more stable society, even if it was in fear and a lack of rights. But in, in this case, in 2021, that's not happening. Yeah, because it's, we are not like in, 20, uh, in sorry, 1988, because uh, at that time, uh, you okay, it's not developed yet and you don't have all the news yet and you are seeing only the people in front of you dying or say, you say, okay, we, we can't anymore. But now people have more logical thinking, people know more, well, I mean, people know things and also because of the news, people can see like where is happening, 
where what is happening in where and how cruel is the military and then you know it's make them uh, to give the spirit to fight that until the end yeah right right and with along with that is this thing of fake news where you talk about people are trying to be more informed and have access to information they didn't before. The military has tried to deprive everyone, including their own soldiers, of access to internet and information, and they haven't been able to do it. We're living in a century and a year where their society, just even their own operations, can't function without internet. So they've they've limited it. They've experimented with different kinds of shutoffs and limitations, but they can't run a society without having the internet on. And so now that they realize the internet needs to be on in some form um, and you can't take it away, they're trying to confuse it. They're saying, we, we accept it has to be here, but let's try to make it more confusing and uh, upsetting and ambiguous of what's going on. Of course, there's, um, as we're talking, you know, mine is in Russia and there's some real fears that there might be some Russian tech guys that will uh, that will will be up to some more tricks on the internet in terms of some of the, the fake accounts that they can do. So, what are your concerns about how Burmese are reading these fake and ambiguous stories? Are uh, are are these creating some kind of tension or confusion or people not knowing what? Or or are the readers genuine generally pretty? aware of those tricks and not falling for them what are you finding uh if i say compared to last uh, last years i think our people have more knowledge in the uh, in the in the information how to handle the informations because uh they have some kind of like five or ten years experience now with the internet okay instead it's worrying compared to the Western country. The fake news in Myanmar is they worried, but sometimes okay, they, they might share one news without thinking, but uh, but after they can think, oh no, it's a fake news, because with, with now it's a bit harder with the emotion. You don't think right and wrong. You just say one thing. One you see one you saw one news and you share immediately, but after if somebody uh, explain no no no, it's not a fake news. It's a it's a the real new, oh no, sorry, it's not the it's not the real new. It's a fake one. They they can refrain from sharing that new. What I worried is that because in Myanmar there are uh, less uh, trusted source. Uh, for some of us, some uh, freelance journalist is uh, one freelance journalist whom Myanmar people trust now is uh, uh, Marat Jotu. Uh, so we, we, people trust people trust whatever he say on so it's a kind of a fact checking people are saying okay Marek is not uh, saying yet so maybe it's a fake news or uh, so what I worried is here in Myanmar, for Myanmar people is sometimes they trust people like 100% without thinking anything one day something become or like one newspaper they trust a lot now it's you just uh, they, somebody want to use that for round site, it can be really worried for like for the people. Yeah, I'm really worried for that. Mm. Right. Yeah. You, there needs to be more critical thought, and whoever the person is being to have peer evaluate and look at what it is they're saying and not taking everything in. Because I I have heard cases where 
journalists or or social media figures who are genuine, generally respected and and are giving accurate information have slipped up and really have had some story or some fact that just is really not quite exactly how things were. And it's been much harder to try to uh, distinguish that because they're coming in from such a level of trust before that. So in terms of like the, I know that in country, it's very dangerous to be a reporter. There's no longer any real legal uh, newspapers or magazines that are allowed to print. This is, of course, Myanmar is a very literate culture. It's a culture where people really are uh, appreciate the news, like to uh, passionate and talking about the news. And now we're going back to um, not an actual tea shop, but the, the virtual tea shop of online, as well as some of the Myanmar journalists and, and, and media organizations as well that are based outside of the country that are still reporting. Uh, for me, I, I checked many sources when I, I saw the one you. For example, I trust BBC and uh, some kind of trusted, uh, I don't say I, I trust 100%, but uh, you can rely on them a bit uh, and there are some chan I I know personally some journalists. Yeah, I check the 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 information from them, and I follow what is happening to them. Also, if they are they always safe or where are they? Or I didn't ask them where are they, but I I was checking the news that they are stay safe. Mm. Right. Uh, getting back to what you said a little bit ago, you were mentioning how the first um, few weeks of it, you were you were just quite, um, quite stuck and paralyzed and understanding the news and realizing what happened. And then slowly you started to organize to actually being involved in some of the community organizations, playing a number of different roles in media, getting the story out, protests. And one of those things was donations. So you've been collecting donations and then finding a way to get them to Myanmar. And I, I know that you can't tell exactly how you're getting them there and where they're going because it's it's not safe. Um, they're, they're, they've also made donations illegal as well. Donations have to go through a structure where basically they're stolen and, and confiscated and used for the military. So you've had to develop other networks that we don't want to talk about here. But can you share generally just uh, where your donations are going, how you're, in, in general ways, without giving anything away, how you've been able to get donations into the country and what they're going for? Okay. Uh, th- there's a two way I can say. One is like because legal process, I can say here, is when we collect many CPF, uh, according to French law, you can't donate to personal account and uh, you have to donate to organization. So whatever we, we get, uh, we collect money for CPF, uh, we send uh, the the person, the organization in Myanmar with uh, helping to the, pe- uh, the people. So it's a legal way. So we, we choose the organization, which is really helping the ground people. And after we donated it, there's just a legal way. And another way is legal, also just a bit complicated. It's like uh, I uh, sometimes uh, some people uh, talk to me, oh, yeah, I need money. We need money for this group of people, for CDM or this uh, health care or for this uh, food. And so for this, I try to collect here in a connection here in here in France. Sometimes the Burmese people, sometimes French people, and after I transfer money to Myanmar and I donate that mostly for CDM and CDM people and the healthcare system for the people who are the in the refugee camp. And the third one 
it's uh, it's for their food. Sometimes uh, you can't donate money and you have to donate food. Uh, people have no food at all to eat, and especially in there's uh, places in Mandalay area. There's one organization is doing that. Yeah, but of course you can't you can't say that you are donating food to them because uh, otherwise uh, the military will take it. Yeah, so we we try to donate food also. Well, mainly three way. Mm. Yeah, it's a really hard situation because you basically have what's becoming a failed state with an active military that's at war with its own people while trying to suffocate them, strangle them, um, cut up, have block access from any kind of relief of of any kind, and you and you have this entire state that is needing an entire you know, 50, 55 million people that are in need of uh, just basic living of food and medicine, some kind of shelter, especially as monsoon season comes. And everyone that is engaged in this issue around the world is basically doing what they can just through small donations of, of rallies and such and campaigns in their own local community to uh, to collect and provide whatever they can. But, you know, it's a really, it's a really, really difficult and tragic situation because the, you an entire state being able to be sustained as they're also undergoing a, a professional military waging a war of terror on them and trying to bring them in sustenance uh, as as this continues on longer and longer. So it's, it's, it's really quite dire and concerning how some of these humanitarian things can continue to get in. Yeah, and also, uh, like you say, uh, we are donating, but also... We are not rich also, you know, the community, especially Burmese community here in France is like compared to US or UA, it's really small here. So every time I was like uh, asking for different titles to the same people, uh, they can't donate much also, you know, we need a longer, a long-term plan for to, to, to help some something to Myanmar. It can't be only with the people because... Even you ask the people, the rich people who is living in Myanmar, they can't donate all the time every to everything also. So like I saw, I like one girl is saying on Facebook and saying that, yeah, you have to, don't feel guilty or don't sit down, don't sit down and crying. Just walk as much as you are, uh, you can. And then like find many, just uh, your priority is find many. Second priority is find many. <laughs> so because we can't do anything now uh, from here. Yeah. Yeah. So as you've been more involved and you're actually collecting and sending these funds, I mean, these, I'm sure the funds you're sending are literally saving lives of, you know, being able to give food or safe houses or, um, or medicine or, or other things for people or CDM, which is shutting down the, the, the military as well and operating the state. Has that done anything to relieve your guilt and feeling that you're, you're not being passive? You're, you are doing everything you can. You're leaving everything on the table, every bit of energy. Has that done anything in working with those feelings? <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, it's good to do- donate. And, and, you know, as when, when I donate something, I was a bit I feel a bit better. Okay, I was donating something, but uh, as soon as you see the message, you're in your 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 messenger, and people are saying, "Can you donate that? Can you call it for that?" And after you can't donate all, so it's a kind of a, a bit burden for me also because I see I have many message, like ten message, and I can donate only two or five. So the rest. If I person if they come to my personal account, it's easy 
because I, I will try my best to, to, to collect and, you know, to send even not a whole amount, I can send some amount. But if they come to organization, as my mentioned, uh, according to French law, we can't donate to the people. We have to donate to organization to organization. So I have to say no. So it's really hard for me to reply the message. No, I, we can't help you. We can't help you. Yeah. It's kind of relieving, but it's kind of hard also. Mm. 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 So those debilitating feelings of guilt that you mentioned before that just kind of shut you down and paralyzed you, I think you said it was almost like a force on your throat. Are those still coming with the same kind of intensity? Yes. Uh, like, like last week I was a bit better because I'm evolving like a three or four uh, projects to help for Myanmar. And this week... Uh, uh, I feel because of the news coming every day, the same new, and especially today, I have two or three news, which is which make me. Even I'm walking, I'm 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 still doing the projects, but I feel like a twenty-four hour is not enough for me to to help my people. Yeah, 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 and it does seem like you have to find a way to take care of your mental and physical well-being because the the better shape that those are in, the more you're going to be able to give, and the more energy you're going to be able to run on and those feelings of guilt they, they just take away productivity really you know they just take away the, the the time that could be spent on on doing more of that work with a stable mind and, and, and taking it away with the emotional drain which of course is understandable and, and, and there's no judgment with that of course it's very understandable to to feel that where you are and yet at the same time as it goes on month after month you know, I wonder if, if there's a, a, a way to um, even to use your meditative background of of investigation into the body and mind and the, the, um, the reflective thought into you know what that practice was and start to to accept it and, and be with it if if, uh, if you've had any any experience of that. Uh, yes, because I sometimes I. Like you say, I have to accept that I can't, like, if it, if I give a donation, and I have to accept that I can't donate to all, to every case, to all amount. So, like, uh, if I accept that, it can make me a bit uh, stable, not, not stable, how can I say, a bit uh, relief. Okay, I can't donate all, but I, I already do my best. You know, uh, and also I'm talk with my family and and also the my friend. Sometimes I talk with the my friend from Myanmar, my best friend. They he have to convince me not to worry too much <laughs> because he was saying like you don't trust the don't trust the the news from Facebook. Sometimes it's like over and it make you overthinking. We are facing and then let's face it and you know let's do it. If you worry, nothing will help you and trying to calm down. And yeah, that's why it's, uh, I sometimes say to my friend, I want to be there in Myanmar so that I don't overthink. I face the situation and I fight for it. It's better to be there rather than here. And you are thinking what is happening now in there. (laughs) Right. Right. Although on the flip side, you know, there are things that people can do outside of Myanmar that cannot be done inside. Everyone is having a role to play. I I spoke to so many activists on this platform where they told me basically the month of February, they were out every day, no matter who they were, what their background, they were just all on the front lines. And then at some point, one by one, they just kind of started to realize, you know, 
I, I don't need to be helping the movement by being on the front lines. And actually, I'm not a person that is well suited to that. You know, I should be trying to raise donation or develop strategy or run some underground newspaper or um, share information or, or some some kind of thing that they've realized that they they don't need to be literally on the front line to be doing the best work and to showing their commitment and their resolve that there that there could be something there could be another role that's actually much much better for the movement that people might not even really know what they're doing but they're they're better suited for it and so i think the first from what i've seen it seems like the first six weeks everyone was somewhat formulating who they were in relation to this what is their background what is their connection where are they what are their skills and assessing what what is it they can do from where they are both geographically as well as personally that will be of greatest value at this moment. And for a lot of people that were there, you know, in in the cities, they were realizing that that did not always actually mean being on the front line. There were things that that were more helpful than that. And so I think for those of us outside as well, there could be a way of looking at something that that we can do in our position, both in our person and our geography, that we couldn't do if we were somewhere else or someone else couldn't do if they were here. So, you know, really... Um, really trying to fit into that role and embrace that role and then do that as, as, as best as we can, accepting that that is who we are and that is our limitations, those are our strengths, and uh, being able to support in the best of our capability from where we happen to be. Mm. Yeah, that's why uh, when I accept uh, to, to, for this interview uh, to Postcut, I, I was thinking, okay, I, 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 I should accept and I can speak out what I'm feeling out the situation and to let people know more insight about Myanmar and you know yeah it's, it's I, I feel like it's one way to help people so it's maybe not that much I'm not sure but yeah it's one way yeah well everything counts you know everything counts and that goes for listeners as well you know we've had listeners on here who have just decided to start a donation project they made we had one guy who made an album made a compilation album all the proceeds are going to our nonprofit, Better Burma, which we're then sending on to Myanmar. And uh, there was someone in Germany, in Berlin, who went to a table on Saturday and just sold, you know, things that she made at home, little little snacks and other kind of handicrafts, and uh, made something like $100 and sent that, that $100 proceeds to us. So again, for the charity, so that we were able to, to bring it in there. And so um, small or big, and what and these are two examples of doing things to fundraise and give donations. But you know that's not the only thing you could do. We had a guy on the podcast in Montreal who just this has nothing to do with money. He is an artist, and there's a mural scene in Montreal. So he and a friend just painted on one of the walls a, a mural representing the Myanmar protests with different imagery and words and everything else, just to, to show awareness of what was happening. It was just art, you know. It was just giving time. And so I, I, one of the things I really try to underscore is that this is something for those who care, you, you, there's no need to feel helpless. There, there's no need to feel, oh, this is so bad. What can I do? There is so much that everyone can do. And even if what you can do is limited in terms of where you're at and the time you have, that, uh, you know, there's no judgment on how much one is giving or what one is doing. Um, but there's no need to feel helpless. You know, there, there's always something that can be done and every, every little thing matters. You know, every little thing is adding up to more and more momentum for a story that's not yet over. Yeah, I'm so glad to hear that many people are helping Myanmar and I, that's what Myanmar people want to 
want to hear, you know, even they, they hear somebody is, uh, I don't know, like you say, selling for them uh, in Germany, they, they were so happy to, so happy and they will get so much motivation from that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Right. So what do you think, both inside and outside Myanmar, what needs to happen for the people to win? For inside Myanmar, we we need to we need to stay showing their military that we don't accept them. It doesn't need to be f- go and fight with them, but there is there's are uh, the other ways of uh, showing that we are against military. For example, you don't pay the tax to the military government, uh, you don't pay the the utility bills, and to to go striking, you know, or you stay doing the CDM, keep a uh, be strong. To, to 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 stay to do the CDM continuously, this is more like for the people inside Myanmar. But uh, I really want to say that people inside Myanmar just to be when they do some some activity, just their first priority should be their safety. First stage, first priority safety, and after second, uh, okay, what whatever you want is uh, the other thing is second all the time. The first type for priority should be safety all the time. And for the people like us outside, we should we should talk more about Myanmar and we should raise more awareness and we should raise more fans. This is the the best we can do. Like uh, to and also we should en- we should encourage people to not encourage uh, I don't know what is the right word. Uh, we should uh, convince the for example the French government to recognize NUG, the the official government of Myanmar, so that they can proceed well. Yeah, this is the the outside people can too. But I I sure and I believe that we will re- win in future coming very coming future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope so. And we're we're all doing all that we can. And you, you had talked about with your guilt. Sometimes you weren't even able to listen to a song, thinking that, that was quite powerful mentioning that you, you just heard a song and enjoying it you realized your family was hearing bullets uh that that was one moment how about now are, are you able to take any time for yourself can you have you been able to go for a walk or enjoy a meal or or go back to a song or or something even a bath something that that just feels good for yourself and that that is giving time and and relaxation to yourself or is is it still hard to even give that moment uh until now for the sound movie any enjoyment no uh, i can't i can't stay handle that uh but uh but uh because i changed the house now it's been one month but in the new house i have a bit of garden but what i do sometimes at 4 p.m 5 p.m i go out and i water the plants that i stay and it's not you know it's not like partying or you know, like it's just it's really that one hour is really helping me to calm down a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the sound, the music, no, I can't, uh, it's, I can't enjoy, you know. But the gardening thing is like kind of a relaxing yourself. Yeah. I find that way is really, I was really happy to, to move the house now. Otherwise, I'm, if I'm staying in apartment, it will be really hard for me. Yeah. Mm. Right, right. And you, you had talked about how you haven't been able to, to meditate or focus or have any practice since then. But have you been, have any like Buddhist ideas or philosophy or memories of what 
this monk who taught you said before have have it has uh, has has the principles of Buddhism or your past practice, even if you're not able to do it now, has that come to help you in any ways? Uh, it's not. Uh, yeah, it's coming helping uh, to to relax sometimes for meditation, but it's a bit hard to concentrate, of course. But you have to try many times to be quiet. But it's it's not a doubt. It's Sometimes when I'm angry too much or when I, I don't know, I can't suffer anymore, I was thinking, why uh, why the bad people are always surviving and the good people are, you know, like going all the time? It's not a doubt, but some moment I feel this kind of things, you know. And I see a lot of people, especially uh, the young people, they 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 stop, uh, they don't trust the religion anymore you know they don't follow the teaching anymore and i feel sad when i see that and i at the same time i feel i have some kind of this feeling also and i want to help this kind of people but i'm not in the situation the i'm not in the state also to help people the mentally you know <laughs> but it will be my one of my future projects i will do soon after i calm down myself to, to help people mentally also. Why do you think it is that young people are becoming more dissociated with, with uh, the religion, with Buddhism? It's because, you know, like uh, in Buddhism, we have saying that it's destiny to accept. Uh, most of Myanmar people, we always say, well, yeah, it's our destiny. It's his destiny. He become like this. Uh, he died, he passed away because he only has the life or destiny like for to, to survive and stay now, or, you know. So the young people, they say, no, it's not the destiny, it's your work, and you have to work for your destiny, and, you know, the young people are more thinking, like, strongly like this. So you're saying that young people are confusing Buddhism to be, like, fatalist, that, that everything is predestined, they have no free will, is that, is that right? Yes, yeah, some. Not all, yeah, I, I see some doubt. Yeah. Right, which, of course, the Buddhist teachings are not. They, they are certainly not fatalist, that's... Even in 19th century, you had European and American Orientalists that were, especially Christians, that were accusing Buddhism of, of being a fatalist religion where karma predetermined everything. And that's a very incorrect understanding of, of the actual teachings. It's a, it's a very superficial criticism. But you're saying that young Burmese themselves and seeing the way that some of this thinking, this Buddhist thinking is being expressed to explain why the generals have power and why they're able to get away with what they're doing, that those explanations are leading them towards a general disgust and dissociation with what they see as Buddhism, which is actually a perverted sense of it. But is, uh, is, that, is that the case? Mm, yeah. And that's, that's why I say it's a really, it's really important to have a, to have somebody to, to explain you what is the real Buddhist teaching, not messing with other, other philosophy or other things. I I I know somebody with my uh, who she, he, the, the whole family is Buddhist and then the child he 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 asked the questions uh, about the religion and nobody can answer him and uh, he was shouted by his parents he was shouted by his relative and uh, shut up uh, don't ask don't ask any stupid question like this you have to believe uh, and finally he changed the religion it's really sad to to hear that you know after if he has somebody to explain him 
after explanation, he he want to change. Of well, why not? Is it this is his choice? He can choose any religion, but uh, he doesn't have any any because uh, he changed the religion because the other religion explain him really well all his question and you know. So yeah, in Myanmar, one big thing missing for religion is that most people they say shut up, don't ask question, and believe hundred percent. It is really not good. And of course, one of the real tragedies, I think, is the silence on the part of so many monks. Some some of that silence has been somewhat complicit in what the military is doing. Others have just not engaged at all. And certainly one does not want monks to be political. But this is a false binary, the sense that monks either need to be political, marching in the street, trying to change the government, or they need to just stay in their monasteries and study and do nothing. That, that's, that's a false binary, that you only have one choice or the other. There's actually a large range of choices of how one can engage. And I've been told by friends that there has been such discomfort and even disgust at the way that so many monks uh, have not been showing any solidarity or support. Uh, of course, this is not to say all of them. Some have been have given everything, just as the protesters, and they've done it in a way that is still following the Vinaya, still following the 227 precepts uh, of their uh, of their renunciate life. So it's very um, they're not breaking their vows in order to try to be political, but they are also showing support at the same time. So we, we should definitely affirm that. And we've had monks on this podcast who have been those kind of monastics. And so so there have been many that that have that have taken that stand, but there have also been many that have not. And a friend was telling me that in his community, the monks are actually starting to not get in, enough donations, not get enough food. And certainly the general um, lack of resources in general is playing a role in that. But in his estimation, there was a growing distrust and suspicion of monks not showing solidarity with the people. And so on the people side, there was a lack of generosity and wanting to give back and support the monks that they didn't really feel that support from. And that even some monks that weren't necessarily falling into that category were starting to um, their donations and their food were starting to dry up. And so, you know, this is a really, really tragic thing that this uh, this military coup and the destructive force that the military has shown on Buddhism and the propagation of Buddhist teachings in, in Myanmar, how much damage they've caused to it, this is another layer to that, that they're, they're also sowing this wedge and this divide between many of the people and the monastics and the support that has been so given so generously for generations. So. Yeah, I help, I I know a lot of case of uh, the case you mentioned. Like people start to uh, donating less uh, to the monk, and some monks they are. But for me personally, they can stay be quiet if they don't support military. But uh, uh, yeah, I can't uh, I can't imagine the monk with uh, supporting military. It's the worst. It, uh, people should. Uh, I mean, I don't. I don't want to say people should stop donating, but you know, it's not logical at all. To for me, I, I, I won't donate. I don't donate for this kind of thing. You know, uh, yeah. So some monks are okay. They they have the right to be quiet, as long as they are not supporting the military. Because uh, they they can be with their meditation, they can be with their teaching, and if they are giving the the peaceful mind, and they can convince the the people to have a peaceful practice. Why not? 
in in kind of one way they are helping people you know yeah it's uh, some months no they are supporting uh, yeah i have uh, some months on i i know and no and right now even on facebook i i i block him or i don't i don't i can't see any more from him anymore you know and i i'm sure if i go back to myanmar i don't want to go to that monastery anymore Mm. Yeah, and I think however this plays out, this is causing a fundamental change we haven't seen in Myanmar in many decades or even centuries of reformulating the relationship that the people are having with their monks. Because up until now, that some of the, the big great monks that you're supposed to give to because you get so much merit, because uh, of course they're they're so powerful, how could they be powerful without great parami and karma? So therefore you should give to those monks that already have a lot because you'll also get the great merit for giving to them. And all of a sudden, this has all started to be questioned. Things that weren't really critically questioned or thought about before are suddenly like, why am I and everyone else giving to this monk and that monk and that monk when at this moment they're clear they're not just being silent, but they're clearing they're clearly showing signs that they're supporting one side over the other. So why why give this support here if we're not getting support back when we need it most in the form of providing solace or spiritual teachings or solidarity or, or something like that. Mm. Mm. Yeah. But uh I don't want to say one good thing about group data, but one the one positive thing about from uh, group data is like people have to have to face many difficult things and many uh, many things so they know they realize more for example they realize uh, which uh, for religion okay how to practice more buddhist way you know they they see clearly not to donate to the to beat another pagoda rather than uh, to to donate to the people who is really in need you know and also there's uh, many evolution also so well, I I talk with uh, one of the group and it's really a good time to to I don't say to solve all but uh, to start uh, to start thinking and to evol- evaluate you know to to start to change some bad habits some my the old traditional mindset and you know it's uh, it's very, one of the positive thing happened this this uh, this five or six months yeah. Yeah, and that's the hope, certainly, that that this traditional structure the Buddha set down, the monkhood, the teachings of Dhamma, meditation, that this will continue in some form as society is changing, as it's in a state of revolution, as it's questioning everything, that this entire structure, which I think has provided enormous benefit to humanity, will continue in place, but exactly the lay monastic relationship and uh, the, the the role that the teachings and the practice is playing in society, that has to adapt and that has to find a new way of settling in whatever the new Myanmar is going to be without losing that essence, but that it, it's able to to change and to shift to fit whatever the modern era and the modern needs are, because that's what, you know, religion and spirituality, spirituality, they have to do that anywhere. Any religion or spirituality there is, the human society is constantly changing and evolving. It has to change with it while keeping something of its core and being able to adapt to the superficial changes to be relevant in new ways, but keeping whatever the the core of that, um, you know, that powerful spiritual belief was from the, the, the teacher so long ago. I, I know that from foreigners who are looking at the situation, knowing that Myanmar is a Buddhist country, knowing that the generals themselves call themselves Buddhists, 
um, there's some confusion about why, how could a so-called Buddhist leadership who are referencing Buddhist values and Buddhist religion be engaging in the practices that they are? So how do you understand that? What, what, what do you understand of the type of Buddhism that is practiced and followed uh, among the military and the generals? Uh, I think they, they have uh, the Buddhists uh, in their way. <laughs> that is uh, the short one I want to say. You know, they, 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 they make the the religion whatever they want. It's like uh, you can see many many things uh, from them. Like they 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 trust a lot about the astrological things, and they do like uh, like uh, you have to like some uh, astrologers say you have to do that in that time uh, to be uh, to be a king, or you know, it's a uh, it's it's not a real religion. They are. They are believing. I don't know if you saw that news or not. Uh, it's a. Uh, I don't remember his uh, their their association. One association is to one letter saying that the uh, the general Mayala is uh, the future Buddha. So it's uh, after you you can imagine what kind of a fake uh, religion they have. I don't say fake, but it's like uh, not the real one. Yeah. It's perverted. I mean, it's it's perverting the teachings according to superstition and soothsayer and some kind of shamanistic um, influence of uh, numerology and, and superstition, etc. So it's it's just really perverting uh, these teachings. And I think that I think that Burmese people are not fooled. I think that they see it exactly for what it is. I think that it's a little more challenging for foreigners, for meditators, for foreign Buddhists that are looking from a distance to try to parse what exactly is going on with, uh, because some of the, the the language, the rites, the rituals, the um, practices, those are quite similar from in a superficial way. And so it, 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 there's a sense of confusion, but I think when you really dig into it, it's, it's just a, a um, as you said, they're trying to make another religion. I would say they're, they're really perverting the, um, the religion that they're uh, claiming that they're protecting. Yeah. It's like you say, foreigners, if the foreigners just will never bring to Myanmar or with a bit far from Myanmar community, they might think you're Buddhist is the religion with a big calm and not fighting, not killing. Why they are killing? Why they are fighting? Uh, they just don't know. It's, uh, it's not all, and there's uh, some many fake uh, things that are involving in the religion. But uh, some some foreigner who come to the country and with a bit more closer to the community, they realize that uh, they can see different between why this kind of people can do that. What kind of religion? What kind of Buddhist religion they are following? And you know, they, they can see. For example, my uh, the, my colleague, uh, they know that uh, yeah, it's uh, some, there's uh, some people who, who which uh, Buddhist religion is uh, the real one, who is not killing, who is uh, calm, who is uh, some something like that. And who are the people like your uh, military? They think killing for the country is a uh, good thing. You know, yeah, they can see. Mm. Yeah, and that's why I think it's so important to have conversations like this in English because we, for listeners that are tuning into this, you're, you're talking about your Buddhist practice and how it was different than the traditional kind of engaging in critical thought and going and, and definitely having the meditation. So you're experiencing the meditation from your monk teacher, but you're also being taught a critical way of evaluating. And that's showing that there's some difference between the type of practice you had and the the more traditional society. And then we're also digging into learning how 
these in the military, they might be claiming that they're protecting this this wide religion, but in actuality, they're harming it tremendously and they're perverting it. And so conversations like this are so important for those that are not able to see beyond that superficial or just kind of hearing general talking points and are like, well, you know, I see those those generals and they're taking their shoes off at the pagoda and they're bowing before monks and, you know, they're they're referencing this and that. So they're they're either confused or they're kind kind of fall into thinking that, well, you know, it's Buddhist leadership of some kind. And uh, and so to really be able to talk honestly and openly about what's actually happening and the the, the more nuanced shape of the way that Buddhism plays out there, I think is really important to educate people. Yeah. And also it's a, because it's a sensitive topic, it's really hard to, to talk uh, honestly about what you think about the re- religion, you know, uh, even sometimes I'm a, uh, some, in some group, I'm a kind of outsider and they can say, well, yeah, you, you, you will go to hell for sure because you are criticizing and you are doing that. Yeah. It's a, but more and more we are honestly talking. We are, open to the wall we are open to discussion but state there are some uh, some topic we can't talk until now within the society mm. right until now that's the key point because what i've seen is that february 1st has kind of opened the lid off of a lot of things and different ways of talking and of being and of of uh, of, of communication and even a thought have really exploded past February 1st, because all of these fears, all of the suppression that was happening before for, for different reasons, it, it's now people are in so much danger and the, the situation is, is bad on so many levels that there seems to be this explosion of of uh, of critical inquiry and discussion and, and honest debate that in ways that was not happening before. And some of that, as you said, if there's, it's hard to talk about a benefit of a coup, but you know, there's, there's, there's always benefits, even of the worst disasters that befall us. There's always something that comes in, in the aftermath of that. And it does seem in this case, there's, there is, uh, there's less fear than it seems like there has, there has been before that, that with what people are up against, there's just not really the time of day to keep being afraid of all these other things and to just start to, you know, think and talk more openly, or, or at least that's what I've been feeling. What's what's your take on that? Yes, uh, it. Uh, wait, wait, we we are changing, but the state we have uh, some difficulty in the community or so. Uh, yes, I feel like. Uh, this is the correct uh, this is time we have to we should take advantage of this time to to talk about that and you know but in the other way is a lot of things happening and it's not suddenly you you feel like it's not the correct moment to say about that so you know it it's a bit hard to to find a balance between like between uh, to 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 change Change, change is a difficult process for anyone, and in any time, uh, what what are you finding as you as you're watching the struggles for change take place in real time? What kind of challenges are you seeing as you as you observe this? If we talk about the challenges of the religion uh, for changing, you know, like uh, the concept or the thinking, it's uh, compared to when I was in university student. Of course, it's really it's really changing a lot. I can talk a lot about a lot about uh, that. I can talk things a lot rather than when I was young, I can't talk anything. And they say, no, you have, uh, you don't have a, the right to questioning anything, but they say that people are, and one 
interesting thing I saw, not this day, like this this years, and some monks, uh, they are they are more logical, and you know they explain and they remind you other. I saw, I think I saw two months ago, or one month was saying. You know, if you are not logic and how you can uh, give the logical thinking to people, you know, if you are not calm down yourself, how you can give the lesson to the calm down to, to people. But these days, people are not like uh, 1980s or 8080s or something, you know. It's not like that anymore. You have to, the, this generation, they need the logical explanation and they ha you have to explain until they understand. So be prepared and uh, don't. Don't make the religion bad, you know, because you 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 can't explain well. I was re when I see that quote, I was really, I don't know how I'm really happy, you know, to see this kind of conversation from one monk. Yeah, the, the, that's right. I mean, the religion has to adapt. The spirituality it has to adapt and meet people where they're at, and it can't remain as it was for previous generations by the traditional old guard by by fear whether it's a, a physical fear or whether it's a spiritual fear right because spiritual fear is just as just as real that prevents people from having actual conversations and critical inquiry inside their mind and holds them in place and these structures especially now they are not going to be held in place by force and by fear and by an old guard at the top speaking out to what people have to believe how they have to feel how they have to practice that's not going to work. And if that is the methodology of what some of those top leaders are doing, then that is actually the worst thing I would argue for the for Buddhism to uh, to remain. That really there have have to be people that look at how do we how do we keep the core of the value of the monkhood and the teachings and the precepts and so many other and the meditation, so many other parts of it. How do we keep the value of this in our culture? while finding new ways to adapt, because every every generation has to find it itself. And this was true of the post-World War II generation that uh, had a new and exciting, independent uh, Buddhist kind of identity that they hadn't had before, and, and, and the religion was adapting them in new ways. This was true in the in the late 19th century, during the colonial period, where they, there were different challenges, and the religion was being um, was was facing all kinds of problems and struggles that it never had before and it, it couldn't hold on to the way things always were it had to adapt and innovate it in surprising ways people like lady Sayada pushed it forward in, in ways that some of the old guard was very controversial and uh, there's a lot of resistance but he found a way to continue to make it relevant to those people and you know, at this time now, it'd be wonderful to see that happening. It'd be wonderful to see monks or practitioners or teachers that or nuns, uh, for sure, for that matter, that were able to continue to find the relevance and bring them to us while adapting to the needs and the reality of the moment. And this is, in many ways, this is a really exciting time for that, but it's also a, a challenging time because if that doesn't happen, then, as you say, with the younger generation, they're just simply going to see less value in it. They're going to misunderstand it. They're going to hear not the true teachings, but the, but the perverted teachings. And no one really has any time for these perversion of teachings. They're, they're not going to hold. No one really has time for antiquated teachings. So there has to be some way to, to, to bring that and make that relevant. Mm, uh, no, I just want to... No, I I just want to say something when when I... Uh, I say here things frankly, honestly, what I think uh, maybe some part of... Uh, 
I was uh, saying, honestly, it's somehow I'm like passing a view and I don't want to, I'm not, I don't have any intention, you know, to, to criticize the religions. And maybe if I say something, uh, I don't know, some opinion, or if I criticize people, it might pass an abuse and it's not uh, reflecting all the, you know, all the society or Myanmar people or just one of Myanmar people who, is, uh, who grew up in Myanmar with a bit different way than the other and just my point of view. I just want to clarify because I say my name and after I would distribute this uh, postcard to my 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 friends, my society. So I just want to clarify on the last point. <laughs> this. No, I, I thank you for that. You know, I thank you for clarifying that. And I thank you for your honesty and vulnerability and having this discussion as we talk about, we're talking very openly about things that a few months ago, you know, would not, on either side would not be this level of openness, but just the top has come off in so many cases. And for me as well, you know, I, I also want to give that caveat that I, I'm just someone trying to understand this better. That's why we're having this conversation to test theories and to ask questions uh, back and forth. Uh, this also doesn't mean that I really have any idea what the heck I'm talking about. You know, I could also be wrong and, and misguided in all kinds of ways. And if I am, then, you know, these are the kind of conversations that correct me or comments from listeners. And, and so we're, we're all just doing the best we can with, uh, with our limited perspective, knowing that we certainly have blind spots as we're, we're, we're kind of groping around trying to figure things out. With that, I really thank you for taking the time to join us, speaking so so vulnerably, honestly. Here, I know it's past midnight for you there in France, so uh, you know we finally got a chance to connect with these time zones, and we both had difficult things in our schedule that, uh, that delayed it. But I'm, I'm glad we got you on now, and you know I, I I just thank you for all that you're doing for to to provide support and benefit for people back in Myanmar, and. Uh, and I'm sorry that you've had to deal on a personal level with all of this guilt and the trauma. I know that's true for all of us, but I, I do hope that um, as as this goes on longer, which it looks like it's doing, that you're you're able to find that balance and, and find that that peace and that mental and physical health while you continue to give and support so much for those people back there. Uh, I'm thank you for let me involve in this kind of a nice uh, program and let me speak whatever I think and honestly without any restriction and and also I'm happy to share my experience which uh, which can spread to the to the people who is listening this postcard if they can understand and if they if it can help them a bit to, to understand more about the people in Bamar and then the the coup and the situation of the people. Yeah, I'm very happy to be here. And also, I'm thank you for supporting Myanmar from the start of the military coup until now. Even uh, for small things they do for Myanmar, it can really help us a lot and it can really give us motivating that we know that we are not alone and all the people around the, uh, the world are helping us and to be with us. So thank you, everybody. you found today's show as rewarding to listen to as we did to produce it. These are not easy times. I certainly know this on a very personal level, as some of you might also have picked up on from what I've shared on this and other episodes. 
These days, I'm now absorbed in doing all I can at every moment of the day and night to push through whatever is possible from this humble platform. As often might also be true for some of you at this time, this often involves decreased sleep hours and quick meals, all during heightened states of emotion. So if you found this or any other episodes we've done recently of value and feel this mission is a valuable one to continue, please consider supporting our effort by making a donation. As we have dramatically ramped up all of our efforts this month, we are only able to keep production at this level through the generous donations of listeners like you. If you would like to join in our mission to support those in Myanmar who are resisting the military coup, we welcome your contribution in any form, currency, or transfer method. Every cent goes immediately and directly to funding those local communities who need it most. Donations go to support such causes as the Civil Disobedience Movement, CDM, families of deceased victims, and the purchasing of protective equipment and medical supplies. Or if you prefer, you can earmark your donation to go directly to the guest you just heard on today's show. In order to facilitate this donation work, we have registered a new nonprofit called Better Burma for this express purpose. Any donation you give on our Insight Myanmar website is now directed to this fund. Alternatively, you can visit our new Better Burma website, which is betterburmaoneword.org, and donate directly there. In either case, your donation goes to the same cause, and both websites accept credit cards. You can also give via PayPal by going to paypal.me slash betterburma. Additionally, we can take donations through Patreon, Venmo, GoFundMe, and Cash App. Simply search Better Burma on each platform and you'll find our account. You can also visit either website for specific links to those respective accounts or email us at info at In all cases, that's Better Burma, one word, spelled B-E-T-T-E-R-B-U-R-M-A. If you would like to give in another way, please contact us. Thank you so much for your kind consideration. You've been listening to the Insight Myanmar podcast. We'd appreciate it very much if you could rate, review, and or share this podcast. Every little bit of feedback helps. You can also subscribe to the Insight Myanmar podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. If you can't find our feed on your podcast player, please just let us know and we'll ensure it can be offered there in the future. Also, make sure to check out our website for a list of our complete episodes, including additional text, videos, and other information available at insightmyanmar.org. And I also invite you to take a look at our new nonprofit organization at betterburma.org. There was certainly a lot to talk about in this episode, and we'd like to encourage listeners to keep the discussion going. 
make a post, request specific questions, and join in on discussions currently going on on the Insight Myanmar podcast Facebook group. You're also most welcome to follow our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts by the same name. If you're not on social media, feel free to message us directly at info at insightmyanmar.org. Or if you'd like to start up a discussion group on another platform, let us know and we can share that form here. Finally, we're open to suggestions about guests or topics for future episodes. So if you have someone or something in mind, please do be in touch. We would like to take this time to thank everyone who made this podcast possible. Currently, our team consists of two sound engineers, Mike Bink and Martin Combs. There's, of course, Zach Hessler, content collaborator and part-time co-host. Ken Pransky helps with editing and a special Mongolian volunteer who is asked to remain anonymous does our social media templates. In light of the ongoing crisis in Myanmar, a number of volunteers have stepped in to lend a hand as well. And so we'd like to take this time to appreciate their effort in our time of need. And we're always on the lookout for more volunteers during this critical time. So if you'd like to contribute, definitely let us know. We'd also like to thank everyone who has assisted us in arranging for the guests we've interviewed so far. And of course, we send a big thank you to the guests themselves for agreeing to come on and share such personal, powerful stories. Finally, we're immensely grateful for the donors who made this entire thing possible. We want to remind our listeners that the opinions expressed by our guests are their own and don't necessarily reflect the host or other podcast contributors. Please also note that as we are mainly a volunteer team, we do not have the capacity to fact check our guest interviews. By virtue of being invited on our show, there's a trust that they will be truthful and not misrepresent themselves or others. If you have any concerns about the statements made on this or other shows, please contact us. This recording is the exclusive right of Insight Myanmar podcast and may not be used without the expressed written permission of the podcast owner, which includes video, audio, written transcripts, or excerpts of any episodes also not meant to be used for commercial purposes. On the other hand, we're very open to collaboration. So if you have a particular idea in mind for sharing any of our podcasts or podcast-related information, please feel free to contact us with your proposal. If you would like to support our mission, we welcome your contribution. During this time of crisis, all donations now go towards supporting the protest movement in Myanmar through our new nonprofit, Better Burma. You may give by searching Better Burma on PayPal, Venmo, Cash App, GoFundMe, and Patreon, as well as via credit card at betterburma.org donation. You can also give right on our Insight Myanmar website, as all donations given there are directed towards the same fund. And with that, we're off to work on the next show, so see you next episode.